0: So, James, I enjoyed our conversation with Mark today because, you know, e-commerce is one of those things that a lot of our listeners and no offense, folks, but people just it's hard to go after. And yeah. I think that this is he gave some really good insights on how to go after this market. Yeah, and, and and
1: really practical, you know, tips of like this is how to go find e-commerce merchants that need payment processing and service them. So I right. thought it was fantastic. Um, then I transition into talking about choosing your competitors, you know. Right. Who are your competitors? Who are you competing with? Is it other ISOs or is it Toast, Square, Stripe, Adyen, DoorDash, Groupon, mm-hmm. Bitcoin, FedNet, Square, then right. right. So we talk about that and how to position. Yourself correctly, which I think is is super important.
0: And then Patty, super I really, important. I really enjoyed the way you put, you know, you put that to people. And yes, my uh, my insiders report is uh, is hot off the presses. The Fed has um, voted to or has proposed slashing the regulated debit cap. Yeah. Um, and James and I have a great conversation about that. I think. Uh, well, you're going to be hearing more from us on that.
1: Yeah, we get into uh, some very interesting debates about how this impacts surcharging and other things from the statement analysis business that I have and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so before we dive into the interview, I always like to get my little disclaimer, uh, Mark Wagner, Disputifier, not consulting clients, not advertisers, anything like that. Just fantastic guy that I met uh, recently at the Nativia conference and somebody that I thought we'd have a great conversation, which we do. So let's yes. dive in and you can hear that conversation.
2: Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey
1: everybody, Patty and I are here today with Mark Wagner, who is the president and founder at a company called Disputifier. How are you doing today, Mark? Great, how about you? Doing fantastic. Love the name, by the way, Dispute I mean, I think everyone yeah, on the call cool. knows exactly what you do and they've just no heard it name, right? So uh, yeah, I love it. So we're going to talk today about e-commerce, card not present merchants, some of the unique challenges that they face. Obviously, disputes and chargebacks will come up in that conversation, but we're going to focus a little bit more broadly today on some of the challenges that they face. Um, before we get to that, though, Mark, I would love to hear your story. How did you end up in this industry, uh, which a lot of people tend to fall into? Um, and then Talk about Disputifier and what was your rationale and and kind of motivation for starting that company?
3: Yeah, totally. So I actually started off as an e-commerce merchant around seven years ago. I sold a ton of different products, ton of different stores. At some point, I ended up kind of stumbling into a home decor brand, which we grew to eight figures. And I always had struggled with chargebacks. And... It was really like, it seemed like a small issue for us because it was only like 1%, you know, but e-com brands run at pretty low margins. (laughs) Like we were running at like 10% margins. So that was like 10% of our profit, just like going out the door. And I kind of just like put it off and put it off as long as I could. But eventually I was like, okay, we got to do something more than just like, you know, answer these chargebacks with whatever we can do in 30 seconds. So we looked at the solutions out there and I was just really, really disappointed at like the value to money proportion with most of the the chargeback solutions that existed out there. I remember we signed up for one of the biggest, um, which just got acquired for a a ton of money and they took two and a half months to onboard us. And I was like, all right, this this is not going to work. So basically Yeah. Building a tool for us in-house initially to answer all of our chargebacks for us. And it took forever, but uh, eventually we built it and it worked. And started letting friends use it, got some good feedback, started letting friends, and friends use it. And then eventually we just opened it up. We put it on the Shopify app store and uh, got a good amount of traction. So, um, yeah, I mean, fast forward a couple of years and uh, quit comm, went full-time on Disputifier. And now we work with some of the biggest merchants, ISOs, agents in the space. That's awesome. Interesting. Are you
0: still? uh, Are you still selling um, online as well?
3: I'm not. No, not okay.
0: I just was wondering. It's like because it sounds like this would take up all your time anyway. So
3: absolutely, yeah. I I had to. I had to switch at some point. You know, you got you got to focus on one thing. I think. Well, oh yeah, sure. Six things he's focusing on, but I'm just (laughs) oh my (laughs) god.
0: Well, that's not really if I can just ask real quickly, if you don't mind, I I know you have a couple of questions, but like, how long did it take you to go from I'm just because we've I think we interviewed at least one other person who had a similar path to you. And I'm just wondering, like, how long did it take you to go from being, oh, I can't deal with this problem the way it is to actually starting, you know, putting your app and getting out of the business and being just in that business? I mean, how many years are we talking
3: about? Probably almost three years. If we look okay. at okay. utilization to actual like switching over. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. That's, yeah, that's cool. That, that, that's, that is not out of the norm at all. Um, oh my no.
1: Yeah. That's if anything, that's like fast. You yeah. Know, so. <laughs> yeah. I love wow. it. I love it. um Yeah. Great. So, okay. So here's, what I want to do that. I want to start out, we're going to obviously get to disputes and chargebacks and all that, but I want to zoom out because there's just, this is just a question that I've been thinking a lot about. And so mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you had any thoughts with your experience in the e-commerce side. One thing that I've seen, Mark, is that the whether you look at the ISOs or the ISVs, um, they've really, you know, done a great job at servicing the physical location merchants. You know, you look at um, all the different, you know, I don't care what kind of business you are. You can find a point of sale system that is like tailor made for your business now. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, you can even to a lesser extent, some of the card not present like invoicing, you know, you're a landscaper. Right. That sort of thing. But it seems like the whole ISV and, and ISO world has really not done a good job at going after e-commerce, like hardly mm. at all. I don't know very many ISOs or even ISVs, like small ISVs that are like, oh, we've got this e-commerce thing. Mostly, they they don't go after that market. Why do you think that is? Any thoughts on why the market's kind of developed to where it's, it seems like it's all Shopify and a few other big players yeah. on the e-commerce side?
3: Well, I think it's because those out of the box solutions from Shopify and Stripe are pretty good. Like it's quite difficult to compete with those guys when they're giving you like what 2.4, 2.6% rates. And everything's already built into the solution from the second that you sign up with them. So right, right. it can be really difficult. It seems like an uphill battle, I think, for a lot of ISOs and ISVs to, to compete with that. So sure. what I've seen, because we work with a ton of ISOs and agents that focus on e-com, is you almost need to look at the the clients that Shopify doesn't want to service, you know, because mm-hmm. they're only going to to really want to service those lower risk clients that have like the typical business models, like everything is just very standard, straightforward for them, but they have no interest, it seems, in servicing merchants that are slightly higher risk, merchants that like to scale quickly, things of that nature. And those merchants are always looking for alternative solutions because frankly, there are a lot of issues, like a ton of e-commerce merchants struggle with holds, struggle with bans. I mean, we get inbounds all the time from people. I just got banned shop Shopify payments. I just got banned for shop. Happens all the time. Even if they're not doing anything, like bad. You know, they just have right. slightly higher risk um, than Shopify is okay with. So I think that's really going to be mm, where sure. isos are going to find their stride within the e-com business because you can't compete with rates, to be honest. Mm. You really have to go after those merchants that aren't currently being serviced, in my opinion. Wow. So two two follow-ups on that I have. The first one is, you know, what
1: we've seen on on the physical location side is there's been all this specialization and verticalization, uh, Right. Is there anything like that on the e-commerce side? And you—you you kind of alluded to this idea. Of there's what I was thinking of as well. Yeah. Yeah. They're—they're they're not being serviced, but like, is it just kind of like one of the issues being it's just if you're e-commerce or e-commerce, you all need kind of the same thing, or do you see the market going to more, more of a segmented approach at some point?
3: I feel so in the e-commerce space. There seems to be players in the sort of tried to create more of a vertical platform, which gives you what e-commerce merchants need, but I really don't think anyone's pulled it off as effectively yeah. as so many other verticals. It seems like there's a lot of room for opportunity there for someone who can really service all of the needs and check all the boxes of e-commerce merchants, which e-commerce is a big game, like different right. merchants have different needs. If we look at the needs that I was just alluding to, like the merchants aren't getting serviced by Shopify, and Stripe, I think that those merchants typically have pretty similar needs. And there's definitely opportunities for more platforms to, to fill those needs and, and become more of a vertical solution in this industry, I think.
1: Yeah, like I was even thinking about some of the issues of um, even integration I could see being really interesting, right? Like maybe down the road, there's mm-hmm. gonna be an ISV that's like a clothing e-commerce and they have different integrations with vendors versus yeah. somebody who does something, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got not know. So yeah. it's an interesting world to me. Um, yeah so hold on. one other question i had about that was you know for those who maybe aren't as familiar with the space as you are when you talk about merchants that shopify doesn't want you mentioned those who maybe are a slightly higher risk component are there any other criteria they should be looking for that would help them to determine like this might be a merchant that would fit that that bill
3: yeah definitely i mean to be honest i came from the drop shipping space so i know that there's a ton of merchants on there that uh, hate Shopify. It's it's almost like a joke, like Shopify payments, because whenever you scale, even like somewhat quickly on a new store, you almost always get a ban or a hold or a reserve or something like that. And mm-hmm. these are merchants that take a store from zero to six figures a month in a month or a week, right? So right. Um, those I think are the kind of merchants that a are going to pay you a lot of money and b like are, are not necessarily getting service right now. And then besides that, there's obviously like the higher risk verticals, like, you know, dating and nutraceuticals and stuff like that, which Shopify right. is not going to touch really that. Um, so I think that definitely is going to be the merchants that are going to be the easiest to switch off. Otherwise, I think if you're just, if you don't have anything unique to offer these merchants besides good service and low fees, then I don't yeah. think the lower risk merchants are really trained or in that buying mindset to switch off
0: so okay well then let's 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 like drill down a little bit on that because it it would seem to me then that there's some big challenges out there that e-commerce merchants are facing today that are not being met like as you say you know in terms of payment acceptance and crm and you know the platforms and so forth so what are these in your mind where do you see these challenges being
3: For e-commerce merchants specifically i feel as though the main ones is can you actually accept payments without issues right so um are you going to get a hold are you going to get a reserve are you going to get banned are you going to get like put into all sorts of monitoring programs that they really don't want to deal with like at the end of the day merchants just want to process payments and not think about anything else right Mm -hmm. i feel as though just overall if you don't like ban a merchant or reserve their funds and things of that nature, that alone is gonna kind of set you apart. And then if you're also able to provide additional solutions that your merchants are looking for, I feel as though that is almost a category of one in the sense that there's not really many ISOs and agents taking advantage of that and becoming more of a solution for, I mean, fraud prevention, chargeback management, but a numerous amount of additional things that e-commerce merchants need in terms of accepting payments as well as just growing their business and not really having to worry about payments in general, I think.
0: So, so okay, so I guess that kind of brings me to Disputifier then, you know, uh, what is it exactly then that you do to sort of you know ease that and make the you know what's the merchant experience with this it's with your software
3: yeah totally so we essentially have a platform that's built for isos and agents to white label so that uh-huh. they can sell automated chargeback services to their merchants so okay. it's it's designed to be a win win in the sense that the merchant really just needs to sign up make an account connect their CRM, which we aim to take like 20 seconds or less. And then from there, they never really have to worry about their chargebacks again. So we answer every chargeback for them and we prevent, um, depending on their dispute rate, obviously we can prevent like 90-ish percent of disputes um, using chargeback alerts and additional services. So the merchant experience is really designed to just be set in and forget it, right? Because again, mm-hmm. it goes back to that. Merchants don't care about payments, right? They don't want to think they about- They just care about their money. Yeah, they just want
0: to sell stuff,
3: right? Exactly, exactly. So that's really what it's designed to do for the merchant. And then for the ISO, it's designed to obviously give them a solution that they can offer these merchants, which is going to make them more revenue, but also just create a more valuable experience for the merchant, which is either going to help retain merchants or help gain new merchants.
0: Okay. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think what's interesting to follow up on that, you know, the, what the ISOs I think care about most with when it comes to e-commerce, especially and card not present in general right now is they just want a a hook. Like they just want a way to go get a cat. Like who do I call and what do I say? Right. Is, is kind of right. That's really what it is. And and again, to your point earlier, a lot of them like are maybe calling the wrong merchants and they're like, Oh, well let's switch you from Shopify. And it's like, well, why would I do that? Right. So, So, so talk about, how could the ISOs... Well, two two questions here. One is, and I know you've already given us some criteria, but let's get even more practical. I mean, like, yeah. if I'm an ISO right now, how would I find these businesses that are drop shipping or whatever, or slightly higher risk? Yeah. Like, how do I go find these merchants? Because it's who you're looking for too, right? So so what's how's the targeting work for this? And then yeah. secondly, once I find that merchant... How do I fit chargebacks and potentially Disputifier into that value proposition um, to to really, you know, get them hooked to be interested in what I'm talking about?
3: Totally. Well, I think the e-commerce game is a little bit different than what most ISOs and agents are used to because outbound doesn't really work, (laughs) which is crazy to think of. But you're not going to be going into these businesses, probably not going to be cold calling or cold emailing them either because frankly, like their contact info, a lot of times doesn't align with like the person. You know, they're not checking their email or whatever. So it's more so about inbound for e-commerce actually. And that's difficult to do if you're talking about like producing content and building an audience and stuff like that, it takes a long time. So I think the better way to do it is to partner with people that already have credibility and a bit of a following in the e-commerce space. Mm. And they already have that trust built up with their merchants, which is obviously huge and that i think is going to be the better way to land e-commerce merchants i've seen many many isos and agents pull us off successfully where they partner with someone slightly higher risk whether it's dropshipper like someone subscription brand or whatever and um that person is basically preaching i love this new processor they don't give me holds they don't give me issues they don't give me bans no reserves that kind of stuff i think is really, really going to attract these merchants. And then how do you actually deliver on that? I think that's where the Speedify and the chargeback services come in. Because frankly, if a merchant is getting a ton of chargebacks, like you got to hold their funds, right? You got to give them a serve. You got to reduce your risk. But if you're blocking all those chargebacks, you don't, right? So right. I think it's it's about, you know, what you say to attract the merchant, which is typically going to be like, we're not going to hold your funds. We're not going to kick you off. We understand your business model and we can help service and you know provide a, a really good experience there. And then how do you deliver on that? I think that on the back end is where the chargeback management services come in. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to land merchants that probably get chargebacks, right? So right. if you can piece those two together, I think you'll be in a really, really good position.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, I really like it. Um yeah, I'm just thinking in my mind a I minute, mean, because really what you're talking about is is kind of influencer marketing is... Yeah. And, and, it's and, like,
0: and networking marketing, right? I mean, because it's like, sure. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I love it.
1: Yeah, very interesting. I, I, I love things like this, because I think what it does is it you know, it is opens up the minds a little bit of our listeners to think maybe outside the box, like way outside of what they would Mm -hmm. normally do. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think the idea of the influencer marketing, which, you know, we use that in some of the companies I own and and it's, and obviously I'm an influencer, so I deal with that as well. (laughs) Um, it's, it's treated me well. Um, but it's interesting too, because like that can be so effective and so cost effective. People don't realize a lot of these people out there that maybe they're just really passionate about talking about e-commerce or talking Uh about Right. And you go on on YouTube and find these people, go on Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, you know, they may actually like have an e-commerce business, but they're just so passionate about it that that spills over. They want to make content. Yeah, And when you reach out to them and you're like, well, I'd pay you $5,000 a month if you could, they're like, oh my goodness, what? Like, are you kidding? And they're going to become like yeah. the biggest evangelist ever, you know, because they had yeah. no idea that they could actually make money at this thing that they, you know, like YouTube, they're oh, making $150 a month in YouTube ad, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, right. It's a, that's like, that's like, for me, I was joking about this with somebody who is it, for somebody on my team yesterday, we were joking about, we get like on our YouTube channel, we are like the most watched YouTube channel for people that sell payment processing, which is like this tiny little group. You know what I mean? Relatively speaking, we make about $700 a month on our YouTube ad. You know what I mean? Like on our shared revenue model. I mean, like relative to our company. I mean, that is like, like we spend more on, on, we spend more on printer cartridges. You know what I'm saying? Like that's ridiculous, but it's like, but a lot of these people are out there and that's literally the only way that they're making money off their content. And they don't realize that, Hey, you can go partner with companies that you believe in and, and actually want to promote and promote them and get paid all this money. So I, for those of you who don't understand influencer marketing, that's what we're talking about. So go to Google and search for how to do influencer marketing and right. And, and, uh, and get, get trained
3: up on that. Um, Just to add up to that, as far as e-commerce, I think there's really three relevant platforms right now and, Surprisingly, I think Twitter is number one. Twitter has some really, really high level e-commerce brands on there, which you don't really find on YouTube and Instagram and other platforms. So that's where we've got most of our business. Um, So I would definitely look into Twitter and then YouTube and surprisingly, Discord as well. Um, A lot of communities on Discord exist in the e-commerce space, and we have partnerships with a lot of these communities where like they want to monetize their community, right? It's a free community, but they have a ton of affiliate deals. And I know a couple of payments companies doing really well from there. So I definitely look into that. And then if you can like, you know, just get an in with these influencers in the sense that like, hey, we'll process your payments. We'll beat your Shopify rates, even if you're breaking even or like maybe losing a little bit of money, like build that trust, you know, yeah. build a relationship with a merchant over deliver. And I think they're going to become the biggest evangelist for you ever. Well, I love it.
1: That's, that's fantastic. Great advice. Um. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's break this down a little bit for the ISOs and the agents to understand kind of the economics. So yeah. um, obviously, you know, you're charging for your services and I'm assuming you share some of that. You mentioned the white label, give us a little more specifics of kind of, I know you can't give us all the details on pricing, but just like how does it really work as far as partnering with an ISO?
3: Yeah, totally. So typically what that relationship looks like is the ISO has like what we call a buy rate, which um for representation, it's, couple of dollars, which is like the automated chargeback responding feature. And then for chargeback alerts, you know, those go through verify Ethica. So it's typically that plus couple of dollars. Um and then the ISO sets so the sell rates. So typically they they get to make anywhere from eight to like we've seen $30 per chargeback. Um, and that's, it's in addition to whatever markup they have on the, the chargeback fee. So obviously, you know, you want to find that balance between merchant value and, and monetization, but the ISO pretty much gets full control over the pricing. So uh, they get to set whatever they think is fair, whatever they negotiate with that merchant, they can do it on a one-off basis. And they can set different types of pricing as well. So um, you can even do like a percentage of one chargebacks and things of that nature. So uh, super cool. There's a there's a ton of different ways that you can monetize it. But we're really only making a couple of dollars per chargeback, and you know we rely on just getting at scale to yeah. uh, really monetize it and for us to make money. But you know we're more so concerned with the ISO and, and the agent making money at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. So so, so you're okay. charging. Her chargeback,
3: is there also a subscription fee? There's no subscription
0: fee.
1: No. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's that that's makes it a lot cool. easier to sell because it's like you only pay for what you uh-huh. need, that kind of pitch. Um right. I do have one other one other follow-up question I just thought of. So trying to think of how to ask this without getting giving any specifics of other companies that would be negative that we've interviewed um in the past. But um, I'm sure you're aware, you know, Mark, that there's been some issue with some companies who were maybe using practices that were not ethical to fight chargebacks you know, making totally bogus information, et cetera, et cetera, um, that, you know, the card brands and others have really come down pretty heavy on that. So that's yeah. been a little bit of a, a cloud over the industry in, in in a little way, right? So what are your yeah. thoughts on that? And what's your approach to ensure your company doesn't end up in similar hot water?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just about building from the ground up a really ethical approach within the company. We don't falsify any evidence. Everything that we do is straight from the CRM of the customers of the brand, right so we're not going and like you know <laughs> photoshopping checkout pages and adding opt-ins that weren't there uh-huh, uh-huh. I feel like though, if you're able to um, just present the case as best as you can with real evidence and real information that is always going to have a place in the industry because it still takes a long time for merchants to do And merchants at the end of the day are probably not going to be able to, you know, have the data to submit a chargeback that's going to be compelling. So it has definitely been a cloud over the industry and uh, a bit of a talking point It's you know, one of the biggest, it's it's gotten some hot water. But I think, I mean, um, if you truly as a company are ethical in your practices and your people and you just, you know, preach that from the top down, from the ground up, then I, I feel as though there will always be a, a position yeah. for us to help merchants and help Iis yeah
0: a right. uh, good good attitude, my friend.
1: yeah, I like it I, I think I think what's interesting to me too is that it seems so unnecessary like when I looked into the data yeah. of it, I'm like, why would you do that? like literally they're, yeah.
0: they're like
1: 95 ninety percent of the merchants you're trying to help. 95% like they're fine with a legitimate ethical approach, it's going to be what they need. And no. you're going to the edges to try to keep merchants in business that frankly are being they shouldn't be in business that they're shouldn't doing practices business, that are illegal right. or Whatever, and then you're putting yourself in this liability. Like, why would these companies? It just seemed really stupid to me. I mean, I, I'm sure they were getting paid handsomely for their
0: that was. I'm, I'm sure that you know, was it. You know, for their dishonesty,
1: moment. but you know, it's it seems right. like a ridiculous thing to do. But anyway,
0: that money, well, you know, that kind of money never lasts forever, James.
1: No, right. It's just it's just crazy. So, plus, you you got to be able to and the fines night, usually you know? <laughs> eat
0: up what you got anyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> right,
1: right. So anyway, well, Mark, I love your approach. Uh, I love the insights. I appreciate you sharing kind of some ideas and and really some interesting approaches that have never been shared on the podcast here of just how. Yeah. To go after the e-commerce world because our again isos and isvs both have really struggled in that way so i think that's really beneficial um for those who want to learn more about partnering with you and potentially white labeling your solution and make some revenue here where would you send them to learn more
3: yeah i think our website would be the best place it's just disputifier.com it's oh i'll show them my shirt dot rcom or follow me on linkedin it's just mark wagner and really looking forward to talking but thanks so much for the time guys this has been awesome love the podcast huge fan for a while so it's, it's amazing to come on here and um, hopefully get to share some stuff that that not many people do oh awesome.
0: i think you've shared some really really good stuff today mark thank you very much
3: absolutely thank you
1: so this particular episode of the merchant sales podcast is brought to you by hip it's a great name it's easy to remember it a great Hiffinity. name i com. love that
0: name
1: <laughs> Yeah. so um Hipfinity is basically a terminal provider but one of the big things we got to talk about is this idea of the push instead of the pull i've talked about it before but mm-hmm. i really want to drive this home so our audience understands that if you've ever found yourself trying to get a merchant to download a change to the terminal um on the support side we know how annoying it is how long it takes imagine right. if instead when you made the change on the back end and you clicked to update it just Instantly pushed it to the terminal automatically and the merchant heard a little ding that ding. said this has right. been updated. So there's so many other features, of course, all the normal functionality, the dual pricing, the um, you know, uh, surcharging, all the normal stuff that you'd want to have in a terminal, all the main features. But uh, it's a fantastic program. And the other big thing that um, that Lori always talks about, and we had her on the podcast recently, is mm-hmm. service and support. If you're a small to medium ISO and you feel like you're getting a little bit left out in terms of the level one, level two support and service right. from your terminal provider, uh, uh-huh. Hipfinity could be a great option for you. So check it out. Go to hipfinity.com, exactly like it sounds. Hipfinity.com. Check it out and talk to Lori. You're going to have a great conversation with her
2: this is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field. With James Shepard.
1: So, Patty, I just finished yesterday having our first uh, ISO Alliance uh, mastermind session with our first group. It was so, so fun. And at, at the beginning of that, we ended up being, we scheduled it for an hour. We ended up going an hour and a half. It was so fun. Everybody had all these ideas we were sharing. It was really cool. But um, I ended up at the beginning, I was talking about this idea of choosing your competitors. And I wanted to share that uh, today in in this in this podcast. So the the gist of it that it was, you know, twelve years ago, I would never have been able to when I started doing you know content heavily. I could never have done the, the ISO Alliance. I mean, for one thing, I didn't have the connections, but even if I did, the main competitor of an ISO was other ISOs, right? And we were all doing pretty much the same thing, which was right. we were selling terminals. <clears throat> Maybe we had a point of sale partner and we tried to avoid those sales if we could. <laughs> but it was like, we're just putting terminals out there. Right. And so, you know, to get a bunch of ISOs together there and say, well, let's talk through, you know, let's all share our best practices would have been kind of stupid. Um, but what's different about today is that today we need to think about choosing our competitors differently. Um mm-hmm if you're thinking that your competitor is another ISO in the space, right? um, You're really missing out on, on the obvious trends that are, that are happening. Right. Um, And, and what I talked to the group about is I said, one reason that I think it's powerful to have a mastermind to get together to all share is because now we can share with this knowledge that we're trying to share best practices so that collectively the ISOs can compete in order to increase the size of our share of the market. Right. Relative to companies like Toast, right, Mm -hmm. Stripe, Audien, um, and many, many, many others, right? Mm -hmm. So you have these big players, uh, Square, obviously, right? right? These are companies that are eating up market share because they're doing things very differently, right? Um, right. You could also think about the vertical specific ISVs that are mm-hmm. grabbing a vertical and just, just demolishing. I mean, they're just destroying all of the ISO value in this vertical by right. making a specific solution. And sometimes they can be a great partner for an ISO, mm-hmm. but that's a whole, we're competing against that trend in a lot of cases. Right. So yeah, we're competing, can, we're competing against that as well as the squares of the world. Right. As yes. well as, you know, see the big ones. So we have these two big competitors. Uh, you know, relative, when we look at like as a, as a group, as a category. And so Mm -hmm. how do the ISOs compete? Now, what I find so interesting, Patty, is that I actually don't look at this from this negative perspective, like, oh, you know, woe is us. Like we can't compete. No, like if you've ever actually worked with these technology companies, let me let you in on a secret. They are terrible at sales. Oh yeah. Look at toast still trying to make money. I mean, Like what on earth? Why? Because they have to spend 10 to $20,000 to get an account, you know, Mm -hmm. because they have to spend so much in advertising and so much in sales commission and because just to get one deal, they're terrible at it. Right. Right. Meanwhile, the ISOs and and even the ISVs, that you know, that they're listening to this podcast, those who are into this, like if you understand sales and you've got a sales team and you understand that part of it, then that's a big strength, Right. The weakness that you have is actually, in my opinion, the much easier weakness to solve, which is you probably just don't have the right solution for the merchant and or you don't have the right capital structure to provide that solution at either for free or at some affordable cost. Um, that's your competitive disadvantage. Well, if you asked me and said, James, you get to pick a competitive disadvantage, right? You can either have no idea how to sell people stuff or you can not have the right solution. I right. will pick the not have the right solution all day long because all I got to do is hire three developers and build it, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. easy. Let me go hire a domain expert, three developers, give me six months, and I'm ready to go if right. I know how to sell. But if I don't know how to sell, I'm kind of screwed, <laughs> right. Right.
0: Right. Right. right? Because it's like, right. oh,
1: man, I got to build a sales team. That's hard, right? So I think when you look at it from the ISO and even the agent perspective and even ISVs and others, like, you know, if you've got the core competency of sales, then it's time to share the best practices because – All the items, we all have the sales... We'll have that expertise. We're we're independent sales organizations. Now it was funny right. because actually, Patty, on our first uh, mastermind session, we ended up talking almost the entire time about building the sales team because so many are struggling to transition from 1099 to W two models, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. hire salespeople and and staff and up. And we talked about operations and um, you know, uh, segmenting the sales uh, process into you know lead generation and closing and how to generate leads. And so there was a bunch of topics around that. But at the right. end of the day, it's like. We can share those best practices and we can, as a group, get better and better at sales. But then we also then are going to be sharing best practices to say, how do we go out there and how do we get the right technology, the right solution to go to market with so that Mm -hmm. we can leverage the sales into being truly competitive with these other companies, right? Right. Um, Right. The other one that I talked about that's another big competitor we don't talk about in our industry very much is alternate forms of value exchange. This Mm -hmm. is DoorDash. Right. Uber Or even,
0: even things like the new uh, Chase account-to-account payments. Yep. P2P, solution. Venmo. P2P. Cash App. Venmo. Um, right.
1: Groupon. Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have all of these. Uber, Yeah, Uber. Like all of these are in value exchanges where you look at DoorDash as a great example, right? Every dollar. Think about this for a second, Patty. Uh-huh. Every dollar that runs through DoorDash is a dollar that seven years ago ran through an ISO yes right that's your competitor so if you're like well i don't want to i don't want to collaborate in the industry i don't want to join other isos i don't want to share best practices because those are my competitors well yeah maybe but like i wouldn't be as concerned about them i'd be more concerned about doordash i'd be more concerned about venmo cash app square toast right i audience, would Right, that and you right. Know, and and the four thousand vertical specific ISVs that are trying to steal your merchants, like right. That's what instead need to of the about. ISO
0: around the corner. Right, exactly, exactly. So, you know?
1: so that's really and you know that was kind of the beginning of the talk. And so, I the two things I really wanted to present to everybody today is number one, um, regardless of whether or not you're a member of the ISO Alliance, obviously I'm I'm a big believer. I'm very biased because I created it specifically for this purpose. Um, and course. if you want to learn more, you can always go to isoalliance.com and check it out. But the main point I want to make is choose your competitors. It's actually a really important thing. You've got to choose your competitor. Decide that your competitor is somebody else. Your competitor isn't necessarily all these other ISOs. You're, And you know, another a great example of this, I, I have a new uh, uh, strategic partnership, uh, a sponsor I'll be talking about more uh, that's a fantastic ISO for agents to sell for. And I had a a long conversation with them today. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was I said, you know, I'm we were they they were getting my advice about kind of how to structure things. And I'm like, I'm not as concerned with helping you figure out how to be competitive with the other ISOs. Obviously, that's important as far as recruiting agents. But I think what's more important is, are you enabling your agents to be competitive with Toast and Square and Stripe and everybody else and all these ISVs? Right. That's more my concern because. You know, just the fact that you're competing with current other ISOs, that's not going to position the agent for success. Mm -hmm. What positions the agents for success is you've got these solutions and these financial programs that are going to allow them to be truly competitive when they're in front of a merchant and that merchant's looking at a toast proposal and they're looking at your proposal. Right. You want to win in that situation. And there's a lot of capital coming into our industry. There's a lot of outside pressure, a lot of VCs, a lot of private Mm -hmm. equity. So I believe it is time for the ISOs to... of lower the the let's all beat each other up all day long and i think it's time to embrace maybe a more of a collaborative approach and let's get together and let's share and so if you want to learn more about that i will give you two links real quick one i already did was isoalliance.com Feel free to check that out. But if you want more of a relevant real-time uh, offer that we have going on as you're listening to this, head over to ccsalespro.com slash ISO Alliance, and you'll see what I'm putting out in, uh, by the time this, uh, maybe by the time this is, but in November 1st, it's going to be 10X your merchant leads in 30 days. Yes. And so all of our ISO Alliance members, Patty, they're getting two eBooks branded for their company. They're getting a training program for telemarketers to call and do a print version or an eBook version. They're getting a script. They're getting a training for the agents to follow up on those leads. They're getting a training for the managers to know how to run all of this so they can generate the leads. So, you know, that's the sort of thing we do every month is we're trying to give big resources. Last month, it was all about recruiting and training and activating agents, right? Right, So we're, we're trying to provide the resources that I believe the ISOs need to be competitive. So if anything I said sounds interesting to you. Jump on a quick Zoom with my, uh, uh, you know, my my partner, my good friend uh, John Shirey, who I think many of you already know, uh, really becoming really well known in the industry. But's been working with me for a while. Um, but you can go to ccsalespro. dot slash iso alliance, fill out that form. Check out the, the deliverables that are there, and then John Sherry for my team will follow up and do a Zoom with you. Um, I would love to have you in our next mastermind session. It was incredibly powerful to get together, share ideas, talk about things. It was it was just a fantastic experience. It was honestly, Patty, I think it's my new favorite thing. I just love doing it.
0: Just having all the I kids. can tell by the excitement in your face, James. Yeah, you just, we, you're, you're just we like
1: had, I mean, Patty. We have ten. We had ten CEOs of nice. ten different ISOs. Uh huh. All on a Zoom and i was able to moderate that conversation i mean yes. the value just that the comes fact out that, that they that, could have oh, a
0: conversation
1: right yeah it was fantastic yeah. so anyway all that to say check it out isoalliance.com or cc salespro.com slash isoalliance. and uh, that's the end of my plug for the ISO alliance today but i just wanted to share Let that do idea. it today so awesome thanks everybody
2: this is the insiders report with patty murphy brought to you by the green sheet For nearly 40 years, the Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
0: Well, James, you know, uh, the Fed and Durbin, two of our favorite topics. Yes. The Fed is proposing to slash the cap on debit interchange by over 30%. Wow. Okay. And it would be effective in 2020 in uh, like July 1st, 2025. So like a year and a half from now, less, maybe a year and a half from now. Okay. Before I get into the specifics, I'm going to, I'm going to lay my reputation on the line right now and say, there's no way in heck this is going to get passed the way it is and implemented by July 3rd july 1st of 2025 among other reasons at least one of the board members voted against it ah okay okay um you know the cap as we know it now is 21 cents plus five basis points and a penny for um fraud reduction right sure yeah right what the fed wants to reduce that to is 14.4 cents plus four basis points and a uh, 1.3 cents for fraud. Wow. Okay. Now it said, this is what the fed, you know, it, it was in a, the fed held a meeting the other day. It was a public meeting. Um, they have a long document explaining its reasoning and everything. Right. And basically what they said is, well, you know, when we set the cap back in 2011, that was based on cost information that the banks gave us from 2009 and it was voluntary, you know, but we're not sure that that was accurate and besides which it's been 12 years. So we need to right. revisit this. Sure. Um. So what they did is they um, took a bunch of, they did a survey in 2021 on debit card fees and fraud data and so forth. And they're basing this new, Proposal on that data. Mm, Okay. Now, according to the Fed, interchange debit interchange collected that both for general debit as well as prepaid debit in uh, 2021 was 31.59 billion, which was an increase of almost 20 percent over the year before. Yeah, but but as we all.
1: But I mean that's not driven by regulated debit though right I mean that's driven no, by No but all the problem the new-
0: yeah but the problem is is that most of those smaller FIs because of the regulated debit are being forced to drive their costs down as well I mean their their fees down as well, well even know, so- though their costs are not being driven down
1: So I think uh, let me share something really interesting I think this is so crazy because this literally just happened before we started recording this Okay so I had somebody reach out and um from Isoamp, and so occasionally my support team will escalate something to me, and I'll actually go do something mm-hmm. myself with it because you know, and 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 this was a case where, okay, let me tell you this this situation. You'll find this so intriguing because it's so relevant to this conversation. So there was a a merchant, right? There was a, one of our clients, and they already had the merchant on Interchange Plus. Okay. They went to the merchant and said, "Hey, we can save you some money by switching you to compliant surcharging." Okay. Now the merchant does almost entirely B two B. Okay. Right. And so average ticket to $300, Mm -hmm. 15,000 in volume, roughly. Well, the, the support request that came in was, Hey, I don't understand what's going on. I switched them in your system. I uploaded my own statement and wanted to switch them to surcharging. And it shows that I'm going to lose $147 a month in margin because of all the debit cards. So this is the thing. So I was like, okay, so that's kind of unusual. Right. So I got called, in because nobody could quite figure out what's going on. So I pull it up. Guess what, Patty? They were doing about sixteen thousand in volume. Actually, twelve thousand eight hundred of that volume was was debit. business debit. Yep, unregulated. Yeah, effective rate. Are you ready for this? Oh, I, I, let me let me brace myself. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Two six five and ten. Wow. So they're coming in with compliance surcharging at one point two five percent on debit and twenty five cents, right? And sure. then credits three percent. Because that's the cap, right? And it's like they were eighty four percent debit. So the, my point to this is, Patty, there's this other trend that we haven't talked about. I'll have to do an in insider. Yeah, this is very
0: interesting, James, because I this is something that I was not aware of. Uh, go yeah. ahead.
1: So, so this trend is that there is massive money to be made right now in unregulated debit, especially and by be- moving
0: over to those small FIs.
1: Yes, and so what's happening is a lot of the larger institutions. What they're doing is they're making their banking as a service APIs and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and they're setting up these other smaller uh, uh-huh. you know, quasi neo banks, right. and these companies are making money. And so I need to publish a report on this, actually. You know what we'll do, Patty? We'll do an insiders coming up with everybody. They can and, and we'll I'll give you the data from our system. Yeah, please do. I would love that. Yeah. But it's amazing, Patty, to see the change in debit. In, in debit cost over the last three to four years, because what's happening is there's all these sure. companies starting up that are providing right. unregulated debit and the unregulated debit cost is going through the roof. Same thing. And, and, and what
0: it is, is it's these unregulated debits that are not the traditional banks that right. have the community banks that have been trying to be right. nice to their customers kind of thing. You yeah.
1: Know? So I think what I think, so bringing this full circle back to this conversation is yeah. I think what the Fed is going to find if they dig, hopefully they dig deep enough, they hardly ever do, I think what they're going to find is their new cap isn't going to do as much as they think. No. Because the problem is the definition of an institution that's unregulated.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the things I was going to get I was actually okay. going to bring this right. up because yes. if you look when the Fed um about a month or two ago remember it it finalized the rule on debit routing? Yes. Okay. And it said that that rule, just for folks who don't remember, it's basically that banks have to allow two networks, allow their debit cards to be uh, processed through two networks, only one of which can be Visa or or, um, MasterCard, okay? So when it set that rule, it put the threshold at $100 million. The threshold for debit interchange cap is $10 billion. Right. So- you know, I, my feeling is that that's one of the reasons I think this is going to get Bail. stuck in the mud is because ten billion dollars is not a large. Ins- I mean, it's a it's a decent sized institution, right. but it's not a quote large financial institution when you look at some at some of these right. really big guys that you're talking right. about. Right.
1: Well. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But so so it's it's interesting because the problem is on both sides of it, right? So the ten right. billion is this weird number where it's not big enough and it's not small enough. Right. So, it's not big enough to to really say here's we just want the big banks, right? But it's it's it is big enough that there's a lot of the smaller institutions smaller nowhere banks. near that, right. and they're the ones that are making all the money on debit interchange and they keep jacking up the interchange. Yeah. So I think big picture, I think interchange is kind of hard to regulate. Um, uh, I I
0: agree, <laughs> you know, and 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 it, but the problem is is that nobody, not nobody, the powers that be in Congress, right, are not you know are are not. Um, attuned to this sufficiently because yep. just as an aside, uh you know, uh lawmaker sent another letter to the to the um card brands asking them not to not to um do the October increase. Yeah.
1: Yeah I think that's gonna fall on deaf ears
0: but of course it had to well it's already in I mean, effect, oh, you mean the one so. that
1: just happened in October. Yeah yeah like oh, back yeah. last
0: month they said please Visa MasterCard don't right, raise right. these
1: yeah be the nice. visa
0: MasterCard just like
1: you know yeah whatever
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think, but I—that's the thing about interchange, and you know, and one of the things that the that the Fed governor who was opposed to it, as well as some of the banking groups that I read, you know, what they were talking about also is the Fed's data is so skewed. Yeah, that you know there, the these numbers don't, aren't even anywhere near realistic. Yeah, and of course the thing that concerns a lot of people is. It's not just the impact on merchants, it's the impact on consumers, because if banks are getting less regulate, you know, for regulated interchange, then they're going to have to start cutting back on like low cost checking accounts.
1: Right.
2: Yep.
0: And, you know, and that's going to lead to more, what do they call, unbanked consumers. Yes. So anyway, I think, you know, I don't think this is going to go through, but I think this is going to make the debate even more, you know, bigger
1: it is yeah well definitely i'm sure you'll be keeping us updated on this one but thanks for sharing this is really big news
2: thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast whether you are an industry veteran processing executive or just trying to learn about the payment space we appreciate your time the merchant sales podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business